This is a very high-level, advanced uh, Buddhist psychology. Uh, there are a lot of there is a lot of terminology that you have to pick up on. But anyway, if you come for the first time, try to absorb as much as you can. This is just a very fast reveal of what we've been talking about. There are eight consciousnesses in in us, body and mind. We are an aggregate of body and mind, you and I. The body, we know, the mind, perception, conception, volition, consciousness, we call it the five scanters. And from number one to number eight, we have the visual consciousness, auditory consciousness, olfaction consciousness of the nose, taste consciousness, tactility consciousness, mentality consciousness, ego consciousness, store and interact interactive consciousness. All these require a lot of knowledge to understand before you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, uh, since you come, uh, just try to absorb it. And we have been talking about this for a long time. Uh, we, some people say we have consciousness, but they may not know that we have eight kinds of consciousnesses. So we've been talking about that. Uh, now, next, and when we talk about consciousness, we have certain topics to confine our discussions. Uh, the topics we use, number one to number nine, the objects of consciousness. Uh, when your eyes, your nose, your ears, when your sensory organs are interacting with outer environments, then you need to know what those objects are. We, we already have talked about various kinds of objects. Number two, most of knowledge. How do our consciousness get to perceive, get to know all these objects? The most of knowledge. Uh, direct knowledge, indirect knowledge, knowledge by analysis, knowledge by postulation, all that. And then we have the moral nature of our consciousnesses, realms of, of the activities of each consciousness we already have talked about. Now we have, we have come to number five, concomitant mental functions. This is the topic, the topic that we've been talking about. Now let's continue with concomitant mental functions. Consciousnesses eight, form 11, dhammas, concomitant mental functions 51. These are the conditioned dharmas and the unconditioned dharmas. So what's the difference between conditioned dharma and unconditioned dharma? We've spent almost an hour on it, so we should know all these. And form is whatever you can see. The classification for form, for materials, 11 classifications. Um, when we talk about form, of course, we talk about um, what our perceptions can reach. Uh, including the most minute, the, the, the um, atoms and substantial atoms and unsubstantial atoms, protons, electrons, and neutrons, and other small, minute uh, rupa. We, we already have touched on that. So, 
They are dharmas related to all matters and substances that are perceptible to the senses. They are physical existence and are regarded as outward manifestation of consciousness. So eyes, all these are material made. Eye, body cells, objects, protons, electrons, ears and all that and then forms included in Dharma Ayatthana. These are very minute forms. Substantial, smallest atoms, unsubstantial, uh, perceptible, form perceived at ordination, innermost impression, a uh, momentary, elusive form, a form produced by premeditation. All these we talk about already, so we don't need to repeat it, otherwise I can't finish. These are rupas, these are 11 forms. I just want to mention a little bit of these. According to Yogacara Bhumi Sastra, when we think, we have the words first. But we can't think without words. And of course, when you, have, when you are given those words, there is certain thinking in it too. But basically, words come first, thoughts then second. So when you have thoughts, would carry out actions and speech. When you have actions and speech, that becomes your habitual thinking, habitual speaking, your habits. When, the, when it, the habitual tendency is strong, it becomes your personality. When your personality becomes strong, that controls your destiny. So you are what you think. You are what you think, what you thought, what you speak. Nothing to do with God. You are what you think. You mold your destiny. Your personality mold out your destiny. Um, so the most important is you have to know your thoughts. You have to know your own mind. Whatever you do, it's the mind that controls it. So you have to understand your mind, your own mind. But how many people are interested in understanding their own mind? When they have depression, they just know, I am depressed. But they have to find out, why am I depressed? What does depression comes from? Um, when my first thought originates, how about the second thought, the third thought, and all these? Now nowadays, we have more mental sickness than physical sickness, more and more. Mental, mental sickness is quite difficult to deal with because they're imperceptible uh, to, the doc, to some doctor, except for, of course, um, uh, psychologists and psychiatric doctors, and they, may, they study them, but still, there's, there's, still, there's some, some realms that they can't even get their words into, and that's very difficult to investigate. All right, okay, so let's carry on with concomitant mental functions when your eight consciousnesses are interacting with the outside world, which you are, you may not know about it. Uh, your eyes see, your, your, your ears listen, your nose smell, your tongue taste, your body contact, tactility, and all these would work simultaneously with the mono, which is the mentality, the brain, and the brain will act with the ego consciousness, which is yourself, your ego, and the ego consciousness is working in conjunction with your store consciousness, tapping into the previous karma that your store, storage consciousness is, con, is, is accumulating and work out whatever actions in speech. That's the very fast procedures that's taken. 
but when you see, when you hear, when you when you when you taste, it's not just the superficial consciousness that you have interacting. At the same time, there's internally concomitant mental functions helping your consciousness to perform, to to speak, to think. You may not realize it. In these mental functions, there are there are five categories that you have to know about: the general interactive functions, particular functions, unwholesome functions, wholesome functions, and four indeterminate functions. Now these five, five and five ten, general interactive functions and particular functions. Don't at, we, we don't attach a moral nature to them. In other words, there's no such thing as wholesome or unwholesome in this first five. Of course, we'll study each one in detail. But I'm just giving you a brief introduction. There's nothing as to attention. Whether your attention is wholesome and unwholesome, your attention is good or bad. The attention is attention. Attention per se. Is not does not have a moral nature as your attention is a good attention or bad attention. Uh, that pertains to the later functions that we talk about, unwholesome functions and wholesome functions. So let's take a look at generally interactive functions and particular functions. This first five, and then we analyze unwholesome functions. Why do we have mental afflictions? Uh, the six root mental affliction, mental afflictions like greediness, hatred, anger, ignorance. Why do we have all that? Root mental functions, primary mental functions, medium mental functions, and the mind, the minor mental functions. Twenty-six. We have twenty-six. Unwholesome functions working with our consciousness to perform. You may not know about it. It just happens internally. When you see something, how come you get greedy about it? Say when your when your eyes look at something, you say it's beautiful, it's attractive. Why does your why why does your hormone start to interact? Why do you have that kind of feeling? Not just the eyes. You have internal functions working at the same time. To carry out these actions and speech, and if you want to know your own mind, you have to study this in detail. The Buddha told us all these two thousand six hundred years ago. He told us to analyze every thought. Buddhism is not about kneeling down, burning your incense, and getting blessings. It's about studying your own thought. Every thought counts, not action. Not speech. Action and speech is already the final, the final result, the effect. You have to watch your thought. You are molded by your thought. You have to be careful and mindful with your thought. Why do we have meditation? Is meditation just coming here to be peaceful and quiet and enjoy the sound of the of the raindrops? And that's not meditation. Meditation. Is to watch every thought that you have, train yourself to see every thought. When you know how every thought comes up, that's the first step. 
The second step is how to change that thought from an unwholesome thought to a wholesome thought, to make it powerful so that that thought would contribute to enlightenment. That thought will contribute to understanding. That thought will contribute to the welfare of all mankind, not the destruction of mankind. All, everything you look at is a thought. Everything starts from a thought. This building starts from a thought. Um, Rome starts from a thought. The construction of Rome starts from a thought. Let's analyze now generally interactive functions and particular functions. Uh, right now, we don't attach a moral nature to it that belongs to unwholesome and wholesome. Why do we study this too? Because if you know this too, this altogether the five categories, then you know how strong your mind is. You live in North America. There are a lot of positive thinkers. And the positive thinkers tell you, you are what you think. You can do it. Whatever the mind can perceive, the mind can do. You can be as successful as you want to be. But you need to know why. You told me my mind is powerful. How powerful? You told me that I can do whatever I want if, it is, if my mind is strong enough. How? Why? Have you ever raised that question? Why is the mind powerful? Why can I do everything? Why can Buddha be a Buddha? Why, why some people build the, the path to hell and some people build the path to heaven? Okay, generally interactive functions, five altogether, these, these five are universal, omnipresent in general. That means, since you have this consciousness of you, you have the eyes, your ears, your nose, your taste, your tongue, your body, and all that, and these mental functions work with your senses, with your consciousness. And these mental functions are universal. All the time, simultaneously, it's creating all the time. Omnipresent, it's present everywhere. In other words, when you see, the attention mental function is working with, this, with the viewing. When you listen, your mental function of attention is working with the listening. Contact and all that, the five. It's omnipresent, it happens everywhere, it happens all the time, it happens simultaneously with the mind, it happens with, with your store consciousness, with your mind consciousness. The first one is attention. When your consciousness is interacting with the outside world, there's a mental function within you that is working. Act of attention. The holding in thought of an object that has earlier been experienced, its function consists of keeping the mind on the object. That is attention. As to how attentive you are, depends on individual. This morning when we were meditating, uh, when we were circumambulating the walking meditation, some experienced meditators walk with attention. They are mindful of every step. 
they put all the attention on the movement of the step, left, right, left, right, and they and when they're meditating, they put all their attention on the breath in and breath out, a high level of attention. But for some people, in the walking meditation, you know what they do? When they're walking, they were browsing this and browsing that, put their hands in their pocket, and then watch the the Buddha statues and. They're not paying attention. Their attention is going astray. They're not having a proper attentive meditation. You see the difference? Some people can do well at university because they pay attention when the professor is talking, when the professor is giving lecture. Some people, they just go astray. They may be thinking about yesterday's party. They may think thinking about tomorrow's banquet. You know, they're not paying attention. Who would pay more attention? The degree of attentiveness. Have you been atten attentively paying attention to what you're doing? When you're on the job, what do you do? You're working at it because you're paid $12 an hour. You just say, this is a $12 an hour job. Why should I pay the highest attention to it? You make the mistakes, who cares? You're only paying 12 bucks an hour. Whereas a good attentive worker would say, Okay, I'm paying 12 bucks, but that's not the money that concerns me. I want to do a good job. I want to pay the highest attention. The attention is worth $60. You're paying me only 12, but I don't care. I want to pay attention. These attentive worker will be a successful worker. Whereas this thought going astray worker will always be staying at $12 an hour. Whereas this attentive worker, finally, he'll got 60 because he's worth 60. So what kind of attention you're paying to your life? What kind of attention you're paying to your meditation? Some simple ta task, I call it a simple task for, for beginners. Meditation is not a simple task. A simple task of walking meditation, you can see variety of attentiveness. Some people really, step by step, they're working at the meditation. They're working at enlightenment, nirvana. For some people, well, it's a rainy day, I have nowhere else to go. I can't go for party, I can't go, I don't want to go to white spot. Why well, don't spend a day, a gloomy day, in the temple doing meditation? Their determination is not high enough. Their attention is not high enough. You are what you mold yourself to be. Not God, not your mom and dad, not your school, you. You mold out your destiny. Your destiny could be prosperity. Your destiny should be gloominess. You are your own creator. Nobody else. You better change it tomorrow. It's never too late. Attention. Are you paying attention? You are. Otherwise, Say, for someone, if you are speaking and your attention is not there, I don't know a word. If I'm tasting something, if I'm tasting a hamburger, for example, if I'm grief-stricken, I was so sad, I was so depressed, I didn't know how to taste like. I'm just eating, but I'm not paying attention to the taste. I don't even know what I'm eating. 
I don't even know when I finished because I'm not paying attention to my eating because I'm so grief-stricken. You see, your attentiveness is different. Your body is there, yet you're not there. Your body is in a party, but you have, you have thoughts somewhere else. Your body, you're, you're not there. That's attention. Attention is the most important. Contact, but this attention happened to everybody. What is your attention? Contact. Contact, the state of contact arising out of the encounter of the organ, the object and the consciousness. There's three things. The organ, the object, and the consciousness. What is the organ? When you see, what kind of sensory organs you use to see? Eyes. When you listen, your ears. When you taste your tongue. When you smell your nose. That's your sensory organ. The sensory organs perceive the external objects and in the process of perceiving, consciousness comes up. But if you don't pay attention, there's no such thing as a seeing consciousness. You only see, you don't know what you're seeing. You listen, but you don't know what you're listening because you're not paying attention. The contact is not there. It is there, but it is absent. The object and the consciousness and which enables thought to come into contact with the object, it has the characteristics of enlivening the thought concomitants. So that's the reason why whatever you're doing, your mind must be at it. You're not at it. So contact. Next, sensation. So when you have the attention, when you have the contact, what's next? You have sensation about the object. You have sensation about what you perceive. Now, let's come back and say, why do I have to know all these things? Is this Psychology 100 at UBC? Why do I have to know all these things? This is psychology. This concerns you. This concerns you because if you know all these things, you can change your life. This is something that you don't notice. This is something that they go astray. In a lot of cases, this is something that goes unwholesome, that goes criminally into bad acts. You don't know about it. Habitually, you've been thinking like that. This is the time to know more about yourself. You are studying yourself. The Buddha said the first lesson in knowing Buddhism is to know yourself. Sensation. Sensation comprises three types of effects. Pleasure, suffering, and neither suffering nor pleasure. These Zukka, that's a Sanskrit word. Dukkha, Sanskrit word. This is a Sanskrit word. This aggregate can be divided into six groups of feeling, from feeling born of eye contact through feeling born of mind contact. They are named sensation because they are the cause of craving. When you see something, it's pleasurable, you like it. You get obsessed with it. When you see something, you don't like it, you hate it. Suffering arises from the hatred. 
And there's a situation that there's neither hatred nor pleasure, neither suffering or pleasure. That embraces and complies of all the sensations you have. It's either good, bad, it's either what you like, what you dislike, or neutral. That comprises everything now. And when, you, when it's pleasurable, you get obsessed with it because you have the sensation of pleasure. Your pleasure is different from his pleasure. It's different from her pleasure. Your pleasure, if I can give an example, when you get into the computer, when you get into the internet, your pleasure is looking at something pornographic. His pleasure is look, looking at something enlightening. His pleasure is to get into something that he can learn more. Learn how to paint, learn how to sing, learn how to, to share with others. And your pleasure comes from what? Stimulation of your hormones. That makes the difference. Your pleasure comes from compassion. His pleasure comes from lust. So which one? Where is heaven? Where is hell? Is it God who gives you the heaven? Or God who gives you the hell? No. You. You select your own heaven or hell. So sensation. Analyze your sensation. And this sensation, you perpetuate your sensation. You always want to look for something you think is pleasurable and you consist consistently, habitually obsessed with it. Generally, human beings get the pleasure of eating animal flesh. They don't care about the killing. They kill domesticated animals for food. Do they care about the suffering of domesticated animals? The chickens, the ducks, the cows, the pigs, you name them, they kill them for food. You didn't do the killing, but the slaughterhouses do the killing for you. And you're obsessed with tasting consciousness. You want to taste the flesh, the, the blood and flesh of animal. You want to build your pleasure on the, on the foundation of suffering that the animals have. You don't know about it because you are habitually doing that. The Buddha said, turn back, turn back, analyzed it. That's what you, what you should not do. That's why people stay vegan, vegetarian, because they don't want to impose suffering on animals and build their pleasure on the suffering of animals. What have you been doing? You've been talking about, I'm very kind, but don't you know that you're suffering, killing animals for food? Everything has karma in it. Every thought has karma. You think you can get away from the karmic energy? The karmic energy that you create yourself determines your fate. That's another thing, not just your own thought. A thought, words, would finalize, would result thought. Thought would result action and speech. Action and speech would result in karma. Karma would result in habitual thinking. Habitual result would, would 
bring the effect of personality, personality, mold your destiny, your character, your fate, people call it. All right, that's sensation. So watch your sensation. Perception. What is perception? An idea, ideation, is a cognition, what you think. This is the aggregate of ideas, namely the apprehension, determination of marks, such as blue or yellow or short, female or male, friend or enemy, and so on. You discriminate, you distinguish, you discriminate. This is that which grabs the marks, whether it's a female mark, male mark of an object. This is that which comprehends by com combining conceptually the appearance, name, and the signify, the meaning. What does that mean, the Dharma, what it means? It is the cause of reasoning and investigation. And there's a degree in it. Sometimes it's limited, sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's immeasurable, unlimited. That's your perception. So whenever you have, a, you have contact, your sensory organs contact the outside environments, the object with your objects, all that, then consciousness is created. When consciousness is created, there's a sensation resulting from it, pleasurable and pleasurable, neither, neutral. And then you keep on thinking about it. Your perception, your cognitions, you distinguish. This guy I like, this guy I hate. This is a rich guy, this is a poor guy. This is ugly, this is beautiful. This is my friend, this is my enemy. Dis discriminate. You start to look at things with distorted views. You start to build up your internal commentator. Everybody has this internal commentator. He comments on everything. This is great, this is bad. I hate him, I like, I like him. You have an internal commentator and use that internal commentator every day. And that internal commentator wear tainted glasses distorted glasses. We've been viewing things that way. We, don't, we may not know about it, but we've been, we've been doing that. Some people's glasses are more distorted than the others. Some people's views are more distorted than the others. Some people view with compassion. Some people view with cruelty, with selfishness, with egoistic attitude. Some people are more open, are more generous. Who are you? I don't know. I don't know. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be a saint? Or you want to be a victim of hell? It's up to you. You make your own choice. Whatever happened yesterday will never come back again. The past is the past. Don't cherish the memorable past. Don't hate your abusive past. The past is gone. It will never come back. Don't bring your past and put it on the table and suffer on it and agonize on it. Because it's gone. You have an abusive childhood, but that's gone. Why do you, why do you always bring the memories back onto your table, ponder about it and agonize yourself on it? That's what we call depression. Why do you, why do you create your own depressive attitude? Don't bring back the past, it's gone. Don't worry about the future. You have a lot of worries about your death, about your work, about what are you going to do, and you bring it on your table, 
think about it and worry about it and agonize on it. The past, the, the past is gone. The future hasn't come yet. Live at the present moment. What is your present moment? If your present moment is obsessed with your past, that's not a good present moment. If your present moment is to worry about the future, that's not a good present moment. What is this present moment? You think about it. You live at the present moment. What kind of present moment you want? Sometimes you have a choice, but sometimes you may not have. You know why? Because your personality wants to get back to the past. Your personality wants to worry about the future. Because you build up those thoughts that dominated you. And the Buddha said, get into meditation to train yourself to get rid of all those. Get rid of all the cloaks of dirtiness. That get rid of all these emotions. Is it easy to get rid of? Difficult. Because we have been habitually thinking the way that we'd be used to thinking. Okay, that's perception. And what's the final one? Volition. Volition is that which conditions, informs, and shapes the mind. The variety of the world arises from action. Volition is mental action. It gives rise to two actions, bodily action and vocal action. Bodily action is what you perform, you perform it out. Vocal action is what you speak. Volition is that which renders thought comically creative. It is a mental karma. This is also to say that it moves forth the thought. It, makes the, it moves the thought forward. It is differentiated into three kinds. Wholesome, unwholesome, and indeterminate, non-defined. The shaping of consciousness in, in relation to that which is good, bad, or neither. And, and it is the activity of the mind. Its function consists of directing the mind to the domain of favorable, unfavorable, or neutral activities. Interactive, concomitant mental functions. You're using it all the time. You're using this all the time. How do you use them? In what way? You use them, not God. You use them. Volition. Volition is almost like bringing all your thoughts into action, into two actions, bodily actions and vocal action. Materialize it. A thought is before you materialize your action and, and, and your speech. When you materialize your action and speech, what do you do? What kind of actions? Many kinds of actions, right? Some actions are morally wholesome. Some actions are morally unwholesome. And the Buddha wants us to study what are the morally unwholesome ones and what are the morally wholesome ones. But let's, for the, for the purpose of discussion, let's, let's talk more about it. When you have bodily action because of volition, what do you do? Killing, lying, sexual misconduct, what else? 
the bad side, the bad side. Well, of course, not all the bad side. Sometimes you are compassionate. Sometimes you're honest. You are not just bad things. Remember, you know, you're not doing only bad things. Don't downgrade yourself. I'm not negative. Don't don't say negative about yourself. You're not always performing bad. You know, unwholesome karma. You are sometimes you're very compassionate. You know, it's not that bad thing to do all the time. So, it carries out body actions. So that's the reason why Buddha wants to introduce what morality standard. Abstain from killing. Abstain from lying. Abstain from sexual misconduct. Abstain from intoxication, and all that. Why? Because it trains you to be morally wholesome and vocal too. Every vocal that you 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 expressed produce karmic energy. Your lie that has karmic energy. You yell, that has coming energy. You curse, that has coming energy. You think after you curse, that's it? Nothing will happen. The cursing energy would carry on. You think after you lie, nothing will happen? I just lie, and nothing will happen. No, the lying would carry out coming energy to its final destination until somebody get hurt. So all these, every every bit it produces coming energy. Don't you have to watch it though? Don't you have to change them though? It carries us in volitional action, volitional speech, and they could be wholesome and wholesome and neutral, and all these produces energy that would directly or indirectly affect you and others. And whatever you give out, bounce back to you naturally. That's what we call causality, cause and effect. You give out compassion. Compassion will bounce back to you. There's cause, cause and effect. You give out cruelty. Cruelty will bounce back to you. Let's do it slowly. I don't want to rush it. I, I always want to rush because I thought that I can. Give you a lot of information, but then I, I, I think that you really have to think about it. It's easy to get into information and just rush through it as if you are taking a course psychology 100. But I think it's good that even psychology 100 will not give you that much detailed information. That's given by the Buddha. You pick up a book of psychology 100. You know what it tells you? Compare it to what the Buddha was talking about. It's in detail. It's creative. It's practical. It's not about knowing psychology that you can increase your your consumerism, you increase your 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 advertising, that you know the 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 behavior of the consumers so that you can increase your product, increase your performance, make more money. That's not about that. Your intention is wrong. Here, the intention is for enlightenment, not just of yourself. Of all sentient beings, not about marketing, not about consumerism, not about how to benefit yourself, make the benefit in the company, in order to study psychology. When you study psychology, what is that objective in your mind? 
I want to understand psychology so that I know what, how you think, that I can rip you off better. I understand you so that you got in, you're in my hands. I understand you. Is that what the intention, the motive is? Not necessarily. Not a, not a lot of people work with a bad motive. A lot of people have that compassion. A lot of people have that mission to improve, not just of himself, of others. Have a very high mission, walking the saintly path. All those saints in the past, they have that high mission of benefiting mankind. So I have time, just enough to explain, finish, uh, explain the generally interactive functions, attention, contact, sensation, perception, and volition. Why is the mind powerful? These are the functions your mind perform. You're the master of it. How do you use it? When you know this, what's the purpose of knowing this? When you know this, you know how to use it. You know that you, you should be able to use it fruitfully, beneficially, and not letting it go astray. It happens to everybody. Next time, we're going to study other mental functions. There's 51 altogether. When you really know these mental functions, you are on your way for better meditation. If you come here for meditation, if you don't know anything about this, you may probably, you don't know why you're meditating. You think you just come for a peaceful, sit still, a sit-in of, you know, a peaceful mind. That's not it. You really have to know the mind in order to put your mind under that peaceful control.